Thanks for checking out this message from Radiant Life Church. Grab your Bible, a pad of paper, and a pen. Let's dive in. Well, good morning, church family. Man, I'm excited to worship with you all as we jump into God's Word. Uh, a joy of coming together all the time as a body of Christ is we need every part. And every Sunday, I like to think of it, again, as Thanksgiving feast. We get to feast together. And uh, we realize Thanksgiving is like in two and a half months. And then guess what? Three and a half months is Christmas. Like, time, it flies, does it not? And so I love just viewing every single Sunday together as Thanksgiving feast. Welcome to the table. And we worship through song. Now we're getting ready to worship through the word And welcome to part two of our series, Controversial Jesus. If you missed last week, we set up this idea of being discipled by the word or discipled by the world. And we're going to enter into some tough, or tough, tough, tough topics, aka tough. All right, some tough topics as we look into where our culture is going at an accelerated pace. But what is our response as Christians? And this morning, I know for a lot of you, you're like, okay, are we jumping into the waters yet? Like, Ryan, just ripped the Band-Aid off. Like, we know some of the topics that are coming. Great, stand by. We are gonna jump into some of those harder topics next week, probably. But this week is a topic that you don't, and I probably realize we don't wake up every day thinking about this. It's a topic that not only is affecting our culture today, but it's affecting the local church as well. This week, we're gonna look at Jesus's words together and found in Matthew chapter 25 and I titled this message, Jesus in Hell. So if you wanna turn to your Bible or tablet, go to Matthew chapter 25. And as you turn, I already know what some of your responses are. You're like, Ryan, I finally brought my friend or family member and you're gonna talk about hell of all things. Yes, I am going to talk about hell. How many of you, AKA, hell's also known as H-E double hockey stick, right? Any of you not allowed to say that word growing up? You could not say hell growing up. What's interesting is you could say heaven, but why not hell? It's interesting. I just throw that out to kill time as you turn your Bible open, that's all. Hell, as, as, the, as our southern brothers and sisters say. They say it like a little more scary than us northerners. We just say hell. They're like, hell. And so, are we there? If you're there in Matthew 25, let me hear you say word. We get in the word, so the? Let's jump in. We're going to look at Jesus's words here. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 reads this way, the word of the Lord. When the Son of Man comes into his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. If you jump down to 41, Jesus says this, 
Then he will also say to those on the left, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devils, the devil and his angels. The word of the Lord this morning. These are the words of Jesus. If you caught what Pastor Josh said up here about your generosity, the two topics that Jesus spoke more about than any other person in the word of God, he talked more about hell and generosity and money than anyone else. And we'll get into some of that nuances here shortly. But here's the scary thing in our culture today. There is a movement that more and more people don't believe in this idea of hell. In fact, you and I even make light of hell in ways you and I don't realize it. We dress up for Halloween as the devil thinking it's some cute little thing we do. In fact, I don't think it's cute at all. He's the enemy of our soul that only wants to seek, kill, and destroy us. But listen, we play around with it. Uh, we, we make songs that think and say things like fun's gonna be hell. We have a song that says, I'm on the highway to hell. As if it's some crown and glory to be on that highway. Not only that, we in the church have done our wrong because we slightly joke around about hell as well. In fact, I look at this church sign. What is hell like? Come here, our preacher. <laughs> I, I, I mean, that is like nervous laughter right there, right? You're like, oh, oh. I don't know if this church sign had a job, this church sign person had a job after this or not. But you get the idea behind the saying, right? I hope we don't say that about our church, but it's there. Or we, we do things like this and joke around and we say, whoever stole our AC units, keep one. It is hot where you're going. <laughs> Tongue in cheek, hear me, <laughs> tongue in cheek. But this is what we do with hell. We almost use it just like without realizing the eternal consequences of hell. In fact, I love this one church sign in New York. It reads this way. The fact that there's a highway to hell and only a stairway to heaven says a lot about the anticipated traffic numbers. We need to talk about hell today. We need to understand that Jesus' second most common topic he brought was hell. We are in a battle in ways that you and I don't even realize yet, but it's creeping everywhere. See, in our culture today, our culture today looks at this idea of hell, this lost, broken world that is far from God, looks at this idea of hell and says this, how could there possibly be a place so primitive, so backwards, so mean, so intolerant? Really? Do you guys really believe that there's this thing of fire and everything that actually exists after this life? That's an ancient thought. 
That's a mean thought if you serve a loving God. And it's so intolerant because you think everyone else goes there except for Christians. But it's not only in our culture, it's starting to creep in the church today. The American church. See, within the church, this is what we're doing. We're beginning to question traditional church teaching. Or ignore the teaching of hell altogether. Or let's just begin to accept universalism. Universalism is this idea that everyone will go to heaven at some point. There's a book written that I do not recommend called Love Wins. The idea of Love Wins was that once everyone is in hell, they will look upon heaven and realize that's actually what I desire and God would let them go from hell to heaven. That's the idea of universalism. That one day, everyone will make it to heaven. Here's what's crazy. Do you know the number one doctrine in the church today? Doctrine is our our teaching of what we believe. The word of God says and how we apply it. Doctrine is our belief. And we have faith by doctrine. The number one doctrine in the church that's being rejected today is the doctrine of hell. This is within Christians. And you know why? Here's what we do. We put a face to someone who is far from Jesus and we know I don't want them to spend eternity there. And here's what we'll do. We'll change our theology. We'll change our doctrine because we picture the person. Instead of saying, I know what the word of God says and yes, I may struggle with it, but I want you to know this Jesus. Instead of going after Life uh, Research just released a whole research on heaven and hell and eternity and what the beliefs is. 40% of Christians now no longer believe in the doctrine of hell. 60% of Christians now believe there is multiple ways to get to heaven, not just through Jesus Christ. Friends, we're being, we are being influenced by cultural moments of today. And here's what R.C. Sproul said about this research. He says this, what comes screaming through this survey is the pervasive influence of humanism. The idea of humanism is it all becomes about you. You are higher than a divine being if there is a divine being. You do you, boo. Follow after your heart because it's all about you. And here's what the rise of what we're seeing then with this, with the rise of humanism, when we are discipled by the world, we are getting a moral relativism. Moral relativism means whatever truth is to you, that's truth. It's relative to you. You believe whatever you want to believe and no one can combat it because it's your truth versus looking at the word of God and understanding that there is moral specificity that God definitely and Jesus and the spirit reveal things to us through the inspired word of God that says these are absolute truths. These are specifics. 
And in our world today, our world looks at this idea of hell and says, yeah, it's fine if you don't believe it because we don't, isn't really there. Yet God's word and what Jesus says is very, very specific and lets us know absolute truth. Ed Stetzer said this about this recent survey. He says, people like to believe in a generic Christian-ish God with cafeteria doctrines. However, when we asked about harder beliefs, things the church has and still considers orthodoxy, the numbers shift. In other words, I kind of believe in this God issue. However, I'm gonna go into the cafeteria of doctrines and just pull the doctrines off the shelf that I like. And I'm not gonna accept the whole truth of the word of God. We've shifted as Christians into cafeteria doctrines. You don't want the whole thing. You only want a God that saves you out of hell, but not the entirety of who God is. And please lean in. Culture does not dictate doctrine. Culture does not dictate doctrine. Lean into this because here's what happens to us. Here's what happens to us. It will result in confused, ever-changing, self-authoritative culture with no absolute truth. And you wonder why people are so confused today. Because culture is ever-changing and they're looking to the truth. They're trying to find truth where there is out in culture, culture says truth is relative and we have a world swimming, not knowing what to do. Can I just say, we have the living word of God. We have the true source of all life and his name is Jesus. Let's go give the world to Jesus. And we do it with grace and truth. Remember in the series, we say we can argue. This is what I love about our life groups. You need to get into a life group. Because there may be some topics you and I are gonna discuss that you don't need to run away from community. You need to run into community and begin to say, hey, I need help because man, I've been struggling with this issue that Pastor Ryan brought up and I know what the word of God says, but I'm just gonna be honest. Here are my feelings and opinions and do you just pray for me and help me and let's have healthy dialogue. Remember, we can agree to disagree, but we will always point everyone to Jesus and we're gonna create a culture that's healthy for disagreements, amen? Amen. Here's the thing. Doctrine is always dictated by the inspired word of God. Always dictated by it. Doctrine, we have to have faith. Without doctrine, there's no faith. We have to know what we believe. Or you leave when the waves of society and culture come crashing over you. You're left with, I don't know what is true. And here's when you allow doctrine to be dictated by the inspired word of God. Here's the result. Life-changing, grace-filled, absolute truth. The problem is, for some of us, we just think of truth as this mean thing and no grace. What I love about God's word is he provides us healthy boundaries. The creator of the universe, healthy boundaries that says, trust me, I created you. I know better than your flesh on what's good for you and trust the boundaries I put in your life. 
not to be a mean boundary law God, but a loving God that says, I know as soon as you step over that boundary, destruction's going to happen in your life and in your family's life. We got to know that. That's what's happening. I just, sometimes I look and go, Jesus, why did you talk about hell as much as you did? I wish Jesus would have talked honestly, honestly, I'm being real. I wish Jesus would have talked about more about parenting than hell. I wish he did. I wish when you were born, you were born. Where's my other one? She in here? I wish y'all came out with a manual. Like the Lord says, this is how to, this is how to parent Olivia. This is how to parent Brayden. This is how to parent Gabby. But he didn't. You guys are wonderful kids. I love you so much. And you guys have different personalities. It's just sometimes it's like, man, I, I, I don't know. God. I'm, I'm trusting you. But Jesus particularly talked more about hell than parenting. And it, what's crazy is in most American churches, we don't talk about hell. It's like the one thing that we're like, eh, you know, like, are people going to engage it or not? And I mean, as soon as I said, Matthew 25, and the message is Jesus in hell, half of you probably are like, oh my gosh, right? Hell, really? Yes. I, I wonder how we got here, and Paul David Tripp, a pastor and theologian, said this about this idea of why we don't talk about hell. He says this, I have a theory as to why this happened. We neither take the holiness of God seriously or the sinfulness of sin seriously. We either real, don't realize the holiness of who our God is, or we don't realize how bad sin is. And so what we don't do is we either don't talk about hell or we'll water it down. Let me just water it down to make it palatable to you all. I'm sorry, I don't see Jesus doing that. I see Jesus in his most direct statement in Matthew 25 saying, here's the deal. I'm going to separate. Sheep are going to my kingdom. Goats are going to go to the place that's prepared for Satan and his demons. He's very clear. Or this is what we'll do. We'll water it down to make it palatable. Or we'll treat it like he's the crazy uncle and put him in the corner. And we'll put a blanket over him and say, don't look there. That's our crazy doctrine over there. Look over here. We want all the good stuff, right? We want to make sure. This is why I come Sunday morning. Pastor Ryan, I want all this encouragement to go to my day. I think hell is an encouragement. Because here's the deal. Tomorrow, when you go to school, tomorrow when you're on that sports field for practice, tomorrow when you go to work or go to the grocery store, you are going to encounter people who truly believe, but I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Like, God's not going to say, hey, you, you're, you're a goat. You're going to hell. I'm good. What, isn't that good enough? No, you need Jesus. Because even your best good isn't good to a holy God. But don't worry. He didn't leave you there. He gave you his son, Jesus Christ. And you're going to engage these people. But I'm good. And so the question for you and I to answer, wrestle with this morning and all throughout this series is how are we going to address the constantly changing culture around us? How are you and I, as a Christ follower, going to engage it? 
This morning, if you don't follow Jesus and you're here, I hope you would come to the reality how much God actually loves you and what he wants for you. I hope you get that. And for us who do follow after the Christ, something would begin to change and burn with inside of us for reaching lost people. And I hope you and I would better in everything that we have, lovingly show compassion with deep conviction. Because listen, if you're not a believer and you're like, man, Christians, they're, they're crazy. Like, I don't like them, they're mean. Please hear me. We don't always represent Jesus well. We don't. And I'm sorry for that. But don't throw out the baby with the bathwater just because we've misrepresented Jesus sometimes. Don't. Because here's the issue. Some of you are all on the deep conviction side, which is great. You're, oh, you've got that deep conviction deep down, but you're lacking grace with it. And then you're just viewed as a mean person. Some of you are on this side and you're so compassionate and you love meeting people right where they're at, but you don't help them with conviction of the truth. And sometimes all your compassion without the truth becomes meaningless if we're not pointing people to the Christ, Jesus. And I said this last week, Jesus had both conviction and compassion. And throughout this series, this is what we're gonna help people. I can't compromise on what Jesus taught, but I will love you so well and so profoundly, you're gonna want what Jesus taught. And that's where we're gonna get at as a community. And understand this too, the church, the church, capital C, has to learn how to live with the compassion and conviction Jesus did, or we will struggle with the effectiveness of the saving gospel, of the rescuing message of Jesus Christ. We have to learn to have that exact same conviction and compassion as Jesus. And that's what this series, Lord willing, is gonna help all of us do in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what we want. And now as we enter in, I know I'm gonna answer four questions this morning on hell, and I'm gonna do it quickly. Four questions on hell. But before I get to the first question, I wanna start with C.S. Lewis, his quote. C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Chronicles of Narnia, and many other books says this. There is no doctrine in Christianity which I would more willingly remove than the doctrine of hell if it lay within my power. If there's a dentist in the room, I love you. I just don't like what you do to me. Like when my mouth is open and your hands and tools are in there and you ask me questions, I can't answer. And then I try, and now I'm like sucking on that spit and plaque they're removing down here now. And I'm like, ah, ah, I can't breathe. Like, I love you. I would rather go to the dentist than talk about hell with you. That's true. It's true. But what I've realized this week is that we need to bring hell back in the church. Not to do a hellfire brimstone and scare you, but to get back to the foundational truth of what Jesus taught. We've lost it. And here's the idea. 
I promise you this, we're gonna teach the whole Bible. We at this church will teach the whole Bible. We'll do it with truth and grace because this is what we believe. It takes the whole Bible to make a whole disciple of Jesus. Not cafeteria, I get to pick and choose. We're gonna look at the word and we're gonna wrestle together. We're gonna wrestle how? Turn to your neighbor and say, let's do this together. All right, before I get to uh, the four questions, <laughs> if I was Satan and I wanted to trip you up and trip a lost world that doesn't know God up, I would try to get you to buy in these two lies. Hell doesn't exist, no one goes there. These two lies, hell doesn't exist, no one goes there. Here's the issue, friends. The world is beginning to believe it, culture is beginning to believe it, but so are people in the church. And here's ultimately the consequences of these two lies. Number one, lost people will begin to believe that there are no consequences for their sins. Live in a culture, I get to do whatever I want, there's no consequences for it. But here's the opposite. Christians will have no urgency to share their faith with the people around them. You have no urgency to share, share your faith with where you work, live, and play. Where you work, live, and play. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna bring clarity to the controversy. That's what we're gonna do this morning. I'm gonna answer questions, four particular questions this morning that help you wrestle with this idea of Jesus in hell. Because here's what we're not gonna do. We will not ignore what Jesus did not ignore. And if Jesus addressed hell, guess what you and I are gonna do? Yeah, we're gonna address hell together. Remember, together, we're gonna address it. Francis Chan and Preston Sprinkle wrote a book called Erasing Hell. This is what they said together. If you're wrestling with what the Bible says about hell, you cannot let this be a mere academic exercise. You must let Jesus' very real teaching on hell sober you up. Let Jesus' words reconfigure the way you live, the way you talk, and the way you see the world and the people around you. That's what we're gonna do this morning because what you believe about eternity will determine how you live today. It will affect the way you see people and it will affect the way you and I live out our lives each and every day. And here's the last thing. I think Jesus talks about hell and God has the idea of hell in his word because I think the teaching of hell is a grace. Because for you and I, it's easy to become morally asleep and flexible and change stances. It's a grace from a loving God who says, I'm giving you a warning before your last breath. That's a grace. Not a mean God. It's a loving God who gives us the warning. I want you with me, but I love you enough to give you a warning. You know, you tell a kid, hey, don't put your finger in that socket. I'm gonna be bad, bad things to you, right? You teach your kids warning because you love them. You don't want them to stick the fork in the outlet. That's bad for them. We teach them as a warning, it's a grace. That's what this is. So let's answer four questions today together real quick. Number one, some of us wrestle, the culture wrestles, even those within the church wrestles. Why did God create hell? If this God is so loving, why did he even create it? Well, let's look back at Matthew. Jesus' words real quick. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, 
Then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will, what's that one word? He will what? Separate. Separate. Circle it, highlight it, underline it in your Bible. He's going to separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Here it is. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for who? One more time, for who? For you from the foundation of the world. God created heaven for you. That is his heart's desire. From the foundation of the world, I have created my kingdom in all eternity, which you and I know is heaven. I created it for you to dwell there with me. You got to understand this. You were created in the image of God for the presence of God. You are created for him in his glory. And he wants you there. He loves you so much, he created a place for you to go. And it's called heaven. He created heaven and prepared it for who? For you. Turn to your neighbor and say, he loves you. Turn to your other neighbor and say, he prepared heaven for you. Now, with that, if God created and prepared heaven for me, what about hell? Jesus answers it. Then he will also say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Heaven was prepared for you. What is hell prepared for? Satan and his demons. It wasn't prepared for you. Jesus' words. It's for the enemy of your soul and the rebellious angels that went with Satan. That's what it's for. What did he prepare for you? Heaven. He did not prepare hell for you. Why did God create hell? Not for us. For Satan and his demons to dwell for all eternity. That's why it's created. Oh, don't get me wrong. You can go there. But it's your choice. He didn't create it for you. He created it for Satan and his demons. Very clear, Jesus' own words. Matthew 25. And we gotta understand something, friends. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Satan hates you and has a horrific plan for your death. Do we understand that? This is why we don't joke around about hell. Hell's a real thing and Satan is sitting there going, I can't wait to get you where I'm at. Because he's got one plan. You think he cares about you? He hates you. He doesn't care about you. He wants to destroy the work of our father. He wants you. He doesn't want you in eternity enjoying this abundant life that Jesus came for and died for in John 10, 10. He doesn't want you to have it. Hey, keep tripping over that sin. That's great. You'll struggle with it the rest of your life. Hey, let me just take culture and deceive and tweak things. That way you don't experience the goodness of God. I don't care about you. I just want you here because I don't want you there. Here's the crazy thing. It's separation. In Isaiah, it's very clear. Your iniquities, your sin are separating you from God. He prepared a place for you. It's heaven. But your sin, 
What if the devil's in it looking with his demons going, <laughs> we got another one. Keep pulling them down. It's not a party in hell. Are you serious? The devil doesn't care about you. There's no party there. And here's our issue. The Bible's clear. Your sins, your sins, your and my sins separate us from God. But our culture today, if you're discipled by the world, is sitting there going, you know what? It's everyone else's problem. It's not me. Right? Ah, it's you did that. It can't be me. But you look in God's word and you realize that you and I have a sin problem. It's us. And the world's sitting there going, blame everyone else. Parents, we'll talk to you for just 24 and a half seconds. Parents, stop blaming your teachers. Perhaps it is your kid. I'm glad no parents said amen. I'm really glad in that moment. Do you see, we live in a culture that wants to shift blame off of self. It can't be me. It's everyone else's. You know where that came from? Go back to Genesis. Genesis 3. The Garden of Eden. When sin entered the world. You know what Adam did? When sin entered? What did Adam do? God, you gave me her. Adam's blaming the creator of the universe. Lean in. Stop living in broken Eden and start living on victorious Calvary. We realize we got a sin problem, but with Jesus, I have freedom and I have the empowerment of the spirit of God to beat that addiction, to rise up and live into the same resurrected life that Jesus Christ lives into. And here's what happens if you and I continue to be discipled by our culture today is we will deny God who God is before we realize the problem is within. So God, no way. No existence, because I'm going to make sure it's not a me problem. It's everyone else. God didn't create hell for you. He created for Satan and his demons. He created heaven for you. And then Pastor Ryan, what, what's hell like? I, what, is, what is that? It's the second question. What is hell like? And before we answer that, I'm gonna show you about eight scriptures on the screen that just give some descriptions of hell in the New Testament. But I want us to put this lens on. We need to answer this question, not according to our feelings. Not according to what does and doesn't feel right. Not according to what, offend, what doesn't offend us, but what the Bible says about it. That is our lens. So welcome to eight verses on what hell is like. Eternal fire, a blazing furnace, eternal punishment, an abyss, outer darkness, being tormented, there will be weeping there, There'll, and gnashing of teeth. It's actually pronounced gnashing of teeth. I just don't know why we put the G on the end of gnashing. Just call it gnashing then. Don't call it gnashing anymore. Gnashing of teeth. 
AKA, not a place where I would want to be. Not a place where I want my loved one that I do Thanksgiving with to be. Not a place if I care about my coworker to be, or my neighbor to be. Now, these are descriptions of it because you can look at it and go, well, fire, there's light, but at the same time, it's eternal fire, but on the right side, it's outer darkness. Like, is it dark or light? What's that? What's hell? Here's the reality. They're using their descriptions as best as they can to describe a reality that is far from God. It's not a place to be. And Jesus defines hell as a real place. And the primary word Jesus has used for hell in the New Testament is the word Gehenna. Let me hear you say Gehenna. Gehenna is the number one word used in the New Testament to describe hell. Here's what's fascinating about this word. This word is used 12 times in the New Testament. Out of the 12, Jesus uses this word Gehenna 11 of those 12 times. And Gehenna means Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom was outside the walled Jerusalem in a valley. Right there, outside the city walls of Jerusalem. In this area, Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom, was where they, you, you and I would never go there. They did detestable things here. They worshipped, you can look in the Old Testament, they worshipped the pagan god Molech there. And in order to worship Molech, You and I would bring our child to sacrifice to him. This was a place, Gehenna was a place of child sacrifice. It was a place that was always on fire because you and I would try to maybe take our trash there. It was a dumping site for trash as well. They burned trash there. Now you're getting this image of when Jesus says eternal fire, he's referring to using Gehenna right here where it's fire is always burning to burn your trash and to burn your child's sacrifice. Mom and dad, if you didn't want a child too, you could decide at any point to take your child and go to Gehenna and dump your child into that fire because you didn't want that child anymore. This is the word Jesus is using to describe what absolute eternity from God is like. It feels like God's presence is not in Gehenna and that will be eternity like that. Pastor David Guzik says this. This was a place outside Jerusalem's walls desecrated by Molech worship and human sacrifice, thus turned into the dump where rubbish and refuse were burned. The smoldering fires and festering worms made it a graphic and effective picture of the fate of the damned. Gehenna. Second Thessalonians says this, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. That Gehenna is like hell. The Lord's goodness and grace seems absent from there. And that's what people will experience on this side of eternity, even though God prepared heaven for you. 
Hell's best description would be defined as this. It's eternal separation from God. Is it an actual burning fire? I don't know. I know the writers use descriptors that often use a colorful language to describe an experience of what something will be like. But I know this. God's goodness is not there. And it's separation from all eternal, all eternity from him. C.S. Lewis says this, in the long run, the answer to all those who object the doctrine of hell is itself a question, what are you asking God to do? To leave them alone? Alas, I'm afraid that is what he does. In the end, there are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and to those whom God says in the end, thy will be done. There are two kinds of people that will stand before God and you will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, come and inherit. My son's blood has covered you. Or you did your will and you stepped over my son. It was your choice. Unfortunately, here's your consequence. Max Lucado wrote a beautiful thing on hell. He says this, lean into this one. This should make your your heart ache. None of us has seen such a blessingless world. Even the vilest precincts of humanity know the grace of God. People who want nothing of God still enjoy his benefits. Adolf Hitler witnessed the wonder of the Alps. Saddam Hussein enjoyed the blessing sunrise of the desert. The dictator, child molester, serial rapist, and drug peddler all enjoy the common grace of God's goodness. They deny God yet enjoy his benevolence. But in hell, all those things of radiance of God's goodness on earth are gone forever. And no one ever experiences the tiniest glimpse of the source of love, beauty, truth, and peace ever again. These privileges are confiscated at the gateway to hell. It's God's grace to look around even to the vilest person and see a sunrise and a sunset. To see God's handiwork here now. That doesn't happen in hell. So Ryan, as we're getting ready to close, how how can a loving God send people to hell? How can he? This grace-filled, all-loving God, seriously? Please lean in. This will disciple you as a believer and this will help you understand as a non-believer. God doesn't send anyone to hell. People go to hell based on their own choice. God is giving you free will to choose. Choose me or reject me. It's your choice. And what does Jesus say in his word? Matthew 25, God prepared the kingdom, heaven, for you. But it's your choice to enter. All you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon says, they joined the devil in refusing allegiance to the Lord. So it was but right that imitating the devil's rebellion, they should share his punishment. But what is his heart? I love the hope of the gospel. It doesn't leave us in rags. It brings us to riches. 
And I love what Second Peter, look at this, come on. Whoo, this is fun, friends. I'm your professor today, by the way. Okay, just to let you know. Professor next week and the next week and the next week. Look at 2 Peter. Peter writes this, the Lord does not delay in his promise as some understand delay, but watch this. He's patient with who? With? One more time, he's patient with who? Here's why. Not wanting any to perish, but all, all. But who? All to come to repentance. What is the Father's heart? I want everyone to come to know me. This is why I'm patient. You and I, judgment, bring judgment. They're bad. The Lord, patience. Because my heart is they would turn back to me. My heart is, Ezekiel says this, I love this stuff. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? This is the declaration of the Lord God. Instead, don't I take pleasure when he turns from his ways and lifts? God's saying, I don't take pleasure in you deciding you would rather go to hell than spend eternity with me. I want you to repent and turn from your ways and believe in my son, Jesus. That's what I want. If you're going, oh, I don't know, does a loving God send anyone to hell? No, and if you want more proof, the cross proved two things. Man hated God enough to kill him, but God loved man enough to die for him. He loves you, and he's doing everything to say, I love you so much, I sent my own son to the cross for you. Your choice. We're not robots. Your choice, free will. And if you're going to choose to rebel against God, then you're going to step over the truth and the body of Jesus on your way to hell. It's like his body's there going, no, you're going to have to step over me to get into there. It's your choice. This is what I say. Everyone must wrestle. What must I do with Jesus? Because God doesn't send people to hell. People go based on their own choice. He's prepared heaven for you. Worship team, make your way up. Which brings us to the close. Our last question. What does the reality of hell mean for me today? Good is not good enough. That's why we need Jesus. And here's truth. Humanity is marching towards an inescapable moment of judgment. What's funny is people who run away from God here now (laughs) will one day meet him. Unfortunately, you're gonna stand before him. We have to know this. A life of unrepentant spiritual adultery, denying God's existence, breaking his commands, Rejecting his grace results in eternal separation. The choice is yours. What does the reality of hell mean for me today? 
for those that are here today and you don't do anything with Jesus, you would consider yourself an unbeliever or a person that's just kicking the tires with God and I don't know what to believe. Peter gives us a very clear picture when he brought the truth and it says the crowds in the book of Acts, it said the crowds were cut to their heart with the truth. And they said, what should we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For those of you that are not following after Jesus, the invitation is on the table. Will you repent? Turn away from your sin and put your face towards Jesus and be baptized to publicly declare now that you are a Christ follower. We're actually, uh, prayer partners, would you please go to the side? In a moment, I'm gonna give you a time to respond to that. If you're like today, I need to nail down my relationship with Jesus who loves me. Our prayer partners, as we close with the song, are there to lift you up and pray for you. Or maybe during our closing song, you just need to come to the altar and kneel and just, just begin talking to God, confessing sin, saying your dependence on him. And for some of you, maybe you're gonna give your life to Jesus today. You gotta get baptized. And there are some here that have already given your life to Jesus, but never, ever has been baptized. On Sunday, October 15th, we're doing baptisms right here in this service. Sunday, October 15th. Get signed up for Believer's Baptism. It's like the wedding ring you and I wear if you're married. It's a symbol to my church family that I am declaring Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I'm declaring it. And it's a celebration. It's a reminder that you are dead to your sin and you're alive in Jesus as you come up out of that water. Get signed up today. And for the rest of us, for those who follow Christ, what does the reality of hell mean for me today then? These three things. It should grieve your heart. Your heart should pierce with the truth that there are people where you work, live, and play that would spend all eternity away from God and you care about them. It should remind yourself of what is actually important in this life. That you truly are an ambassador of Christ to your teammates, to your classmates, to your friends, to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your family. You are an ambassador for Christ. Above everything else, above your career, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You, he chose you a royal priesthood to bring the gospel to people. You are his plan A. There's no plan B. You're it. That's important. And with that, that should produce zeal to share the gospel. Rely on the spirit of God to give you the words you need. But you gotta be obedient to open up your mouth in the first place. Charles, Peace.
was a murderer in England in the 1800s. One day he was walking to his execution. And as he was walking, there was a prison chaplain there reading his last rites to him, reminding him as he walked this way, as he faced his execution right over there, the chaplain said, everything he normally says, you do realize that there's penalty for your sins, your wages of sins is death, and you will spend all eternity in hell. And he's just mumbling all this stuff to the murderer as he goes face execution. Charles P. stopped and looks at the chaplain right in the face and he says this to the chaplain, sir, if I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it if need be on hands and knees and think it worthwhile just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. That is coming from a non-believer as he knew death was right there. What are you doing, brother and sister in Christ? You and I don't have to walk over glass. All you and I have to do is walk across the street. Is walk across the cubicle. Is to walk across the aisle in the grocery store. It's just to tap our teammate on the shoulder and say, hey, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. <laughs> what lengths are you willing to go to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people? What lengths are you willing? This should radically transform who we are. Amen? Will you please stand? I just want you to close. And we're not, I got an announcement to make, by the way, at the end of service, so don't take off. Unless you don't want to hear the announcement. That's great. Close your eyes for a moment. And if you're in this room and you're a follower of Christ, a believer, I want you to sit there and just thank Jesus for what he did for you. That he now looks at you and calls you a daughter and calls you a son. And now you plead the blood of Jesus who saved you rescued you. Take a moment and plead the blood of Jesus over your life and thank him for it. Plead it over your family. Begin to think of that one individual who's far from Jesus and begin to pray that they would become a person of peace to receive the gospel. And that one day, they would plead the blood of Christ over themselves as well. Thanks for listening to this message from Radiant Life Church. To get to know us better, check out theradiantlife.church. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.